Hi everyone, it's Christine here from Beach House 34. And first off, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a listener. I am so grateful for you being here. As you might know, putting together a podcast, researching, writing, recording, and editing is very time consuming and creates a lot of expenses that I pay for out of my own pocket. If you enjoy the show, it would mean a great deal to me if you'd check out my Patreon site which lets you contribute and help keep the show going. Support starts at just $3 a month and it goes directly towards covering the expenses for the show itself and helps it grow even bigger. Plus, at the $3 level, you'll get a shout out in the next podcast, you'll get exclusive voting power over show ideas, as well as access to my personal posts on Patreon. Any support is greatly appreciated. You'll find a link on Instagram at Beach House 34 Podcast within the bio, or alternatively, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Beach House 34. Thank you so much. Much love, Christine. This is part three of Darlie Routier. Did she or didn't she? If you missed the first two episodes, they are episodes numbers 33 and 34, and you can find these on your favorite podcast platform. Now, as I did in part two, episode 34, I'll give you a brief recap as to what we've talked about so far so that you're all caught up. If, however, you want all of the details, I highly suggest listening to episodes 33 and 34, which will give you far more detail than I can add here. In the last episode, I kind of left you on a cliffhanger. And what had happened is the prosecution had just called Darren to the stand and he was getting ready to testify. Now, remember, this is just this hearing that they're having to hold Darley without bond. So that is what this testimony is centered around. And so that's what I'll cover in this episode, at least the part that uh, where Darren is testifying. And if I have a little bit of time and it doesn't go too crazy, I'll add the extra folks as well. If not, that will just bleed over into another, uh, another episode. So with that said, welcome to the Beach House 34 True Crime Podcast. I'm your host, Christine Worth. First, let's recap some information. In the early morning hours of June 6, 1996, Darlie Routier was sound asleep in the downstairs family room with her two children, Damon, who was five, and Devin, who was six. The children were asleep on the floor with their pillows and blankets, and Darlie was lying on one of the couches. They had all been watching television and had fallen asleep. The television and the sound were still on. Darlie's husband, Darren, was in the upstairs bedroom sleeping with their youngest son, Drake, who was eight months old. Drake was in a bassinet slash crib in the parents' bedroom. Now, around 2.22 a.m., Damon and Devin were attacked and stabbed viciously. 
Darley sustained cuts to her throat, her shoulder, and her forearm. Later, Darley would make a statement to the police that she had been awakened and saw someone inside her home. The assailant moved away from her and went through the utility room and into the garage. Now, investigators noticed that one of the screens within the garage had been cut open. The window to the garage itself had also been left open, which was unusual. Darley went after the intruder and followed him into the utility room. According to Darley, she saw him drop a knife on the floor, which she instinctively picked up. But her decision to pick up that knife raised doubts with the police and investigators regarding her claim of an intruder. After the police dispatcher had instructed her to not touch anything, Darley admitted that she had already handled the knife. She quickly realized that she may have compromised fingerprints and acknowledged that fact with the dispatcher. Darley's call to 911 came in at 2.30 in the morning. The call lasted nearly six minutes. Within the first 30 seconds of the call, you can hear Darley's husband, Darren, and this is important, so we'll keep this in the back of our minds for now. The first officer on the scene was David Waddell, who arrived at around 2.33 a.m., according to his testimony, just three minutes after Darley called 911. The second officer, James Walling, arrived around 2.35 a.m. We know by now that Darley was arrested for the murder of her two children, but there's always been controversy surrounding that. And this is because, among other things, the man who walked the crime scene hours after it happened, James Cron, determined within 20 to 30 minutes that it was from it was someone from inside the house. And at this point, he didn't even know that 75 yards down the alley behind the Routier home was a sock that contained Devin and Damon's blood on it. The police quickly cleared Darren, which left only one other suspect, Darley. Her bail was first set a few months after the crime, and it was set at $1 million, 500,000 per child. This new hearing that we've been covering in, not only that we'll cover in this episode, but in the previous episode, is to hold Darley without bail. And this hearing takes place at the end of August of 1996 and lasts for three days. Now, during this bail hearing and in episode 34, we heard the testimony of the doctor who performed the autopsy on Damon, the youngest child, as well as testimony from officer David Waddell. He was the first officer on the scene that night. We do know from officer Waddell's testimony that he was just a few miles from the Routier home that night and it took him only about two to three minutes to get to the Routier house. We also know that Darley phoned 911 at 2.30 and of course this puts Officer Waddell at the house at 2.33. He said that he parked on the north side of the house and noticed Mr. Routier running from the front yard that he had on blue jeans, no shirt and no shoes. Darren was screaming for help, saying his kids had been stabbed. And when Officer Waddell got to Darren, Darren turned and he and the officer then went inside the house. 
Now, we've already talked about where the north side of the house is situated in episode 34. And this is where Officer Waddell said that he parked. But suffice it to say that from Officer Waddell's position, it would have been very difficult to see Darren run from out of his front door. Maybe the direction of the front door, but maybe not the front door itself, especially because in the front yard, which I failed to mention in the previous podcast, I'm so sorry about that, because within the front yard, Darley had a very large fountain installed right there on the front lawn of the property. And this would have blocked the view if he were parked where he said he was parked. Now, I won't go over his entire testimony because this would take a very long time. And but if you do want to listen to it, uh, especially for this bond hearing, you can find it in episode 34. So suffice it to say that Officer Waddell, during his testimony, frequently mentioned how Darley never helped her youngest child who lay just feet from her that she was, quote, hysterical, unquote, that she had told him she had picked up the knife and was worried she may have messed up fingerprints and that the only parent he saw trying to help was Darren, who was over with the older child, Devin, attempting to perform CPR. Now, later, Officer Waddell would admit to writing three reports on the day of the incident, one for each child and one for Darley. He would later admit to writing a report on the 7th, the day after the incident, which was the only report that contained information about him asking Darley multiple times to help her child. This was not contained in the original report done the day before. Now, after Officer Waddell was finished with his uh, testimony again during this Let's Hold Darley Without Bond um, hearing, it was then that Greg Davis, the prosecutor, called Darren Routier to the stand. Now, Darren was not part of the initial witnesses that were meant to be called. And actually, the initial witnesses that were sworn in prior to this whole hearing taking place, taking place. So all other witnesses that had been sworn in were already on the, the list, were instructed to have a seat outside so that they didn't hear any other testimony. Yet here is Darren sitting in the audience, hearing all of the testimony thus far, and specifically that of Officer Waddell. Now the judge went ahead and swore him in and he came up to testify. Now with that said, here is Darren's testimony in the motion to hold Darley without bond that occurred on Monday, August 26th, 1996. And in this testimony, we find out some very interesting things about Darren that we didn't know before. The whole thing begins with Mr. Greg Davis, who is the prosecutor, saying, Your Honor, the state at this time will call Darren Routier. He is in the audience. He has not been sworn, Your Honor. At which point the court says, All right, Mr. Routier, raise your right hand, sir. He then raises his right hand. The court then says, Do you solemnly swear? or affirm that the testimony you are about to give in proceeding in this proceeding will be the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And then of course he says, I do. At which point, Mr. Greg Davis begins the direct examination of Darren Routier. And he starts off with, sir, would you please state your full name? Darren Eugene Routier. Okay. 
Mr. Routier, are you the husband of the defendant, Darley Routier? Yes, sir. Okay. On the on June the 6th, 1996, were y'all living at 5801 Eagle Drive in Rowlett, Texas? Yes, sir. Mr. Routier, that evening, or in the early morning hours of June 6th of 1996, what time did you go to bed? About one o'clock. And at the time you went to bed, where was your wife? She was downstairs on the couch. Okay. Were your two sons, Damon and Devin, also down there? Yes, they were. Sir, at the time that you went to bed, was there any blood on the kitchen floor downstairs that you noticed? No. How about in your utility room? No. How about in your... What I, I have been calling the family room, or did y'all have another name for that room? The Roman room. Okay, the Roman room. Did you notice any blood on the carpet when you went to bed? No. Was there any broken glass on the kitchen floor when you went to bed? No. Was there any blood in the kitchen sink when you went to bed? No. Was there any blood on the cabinet work in front of the kitchen sink? No. Do you recall a vacuum cleaner being turned over in the kitchen at the time that you went to sleep? No. Mr. Routier, what is the first thing that woke you up? Glass breaking and Darley screaming. All right. And you were sleeping up in the master bedroom, correct? That's correct, with my little son. All right. And how long had you been asleep when you heard the glass break and Darley screaming? Probably an hour or hour and 15 minutes. Now you wear glasses, correct? Yes. What did you do when you heard the glass break and Darley scream? The first thing I did was grab my glasses. How were you clothed? when you were sleeping. I was nude. All right. Did you clothe yourself in any way before you went downstairs? I put my pants on. All right. And then did you proceed straight downstairs? As fast as I could. Did you go into the Roman room? Yes, sir. What did you see when you went into the Roman room? Devin lying on the floor. Okay. Now, we have seen certain photographs where Devin's body is over across the Roman room, close to the big screen television. Is that where you saw his body? Yes, sir. Was he still face up when you were over there to look at him? Yes, sir. What was his condition when you saw him? Lifeless. Two wounds in his chest, eyes open, looking up at me, no movement. So his eyes were open. Yes, sir. When you first came into the Roman room, where was your wife? She was following behind me. When I ran down the stairs, I went past the, into the entranceway, down the hallway, and went straight over to Damon. I mean, over to Devin. Well, where was she when you first saw her after you came downstairs? Where was your wife when you first saw her? She followed behind me and she went to the phone. All right. Well, maybe I'm not making it clear. And then Darren responds with, Oh, was she in the kitchen 
or which room? And again, the question, which room was she in when you first saw her? Pretty much in the middle of the, all of the two rooms, you know, right by the bar at the end of the bar, she grabbed the phone and then she was by the sink. So kind of right in the hallway where the Roman room, the hallway and the kitchen is all, she was in that area in between the kitchen. Okay. Greg Davis then asked the judge if he can approach Darren and he's given permission. And then again, goes back to questioning uh, Darren and says, Mr. Routier, let me show you defendant's exhibit number one. Do you recognize that as the floor plan of your house? Yes, sir. If you could, if you could put a D1 on this diagram where your wife was when you first saw her. When I first saw her? When you first saw her, when you came downstairs, I ran down the stairs and came all the way up the hallway and she was here at the bottom of the stairs. All right. Until I went. Okay. If you would then just put a D1 then wherever she first was when you saw her. Okay. That is where I saw her when I was at the top of the stairs. All right. And then did you say that you came downstairs and then your wife followed you into the Roman room? Is that correct? Right. That's correct. Did you go straight over to Devon? I went straight over to Devon. Where was Damon? Damon was lying right here where this slash is. All right. If you, if you would, if you will just write Damon. Okay. And he complies. And then if you will write Devin where Devin was, and again, Darren complies. When you came into the room, could you see Damon also? I didn't see him. I ran right past him. Darley was screaming Devin, Devin, Devin while I was running down the stairs. So I ran straight over to Devin. When you came into this room and you went to Devin, did your wife follow you over to Devin? Not at that point. Okay. What did she, she went straight to the phone. She went straight to the sink to get towels. Okay. Where was the telephone? The telephone is right here on this wall. And this is a cordless telephone. Yes, sir. It is. And so you went to Devon. And then at that time she went over and picked up the telephone. Is that right? That's right. Could you hear her? making a telephone call. Yes, I could. And who was she calling? 911. How long did you stay over here with Devin? Probably three to four minutes. All right. Where was your wife during the time that you were with Devin? She was in the kitchen getting kitchen towels out of the thing. I could hear the water running. And then she took him over and brought towels over to Damon. So you actually, is it your testimony today that you actually saw her go to the kitchen sink? Yeah. How many times have you met with the Rowlett police department on this case? Before to five times. Okay. When is the first time that you told them that your wife went over to that kitchen sink? probably the second or third time. 
Isn't it the truth that you have never mentioned that to the police? Have you? Well, I remember seeing it. Okay, but you never did tell the police, did you? I don't recall. Okay. I was busy. Mm-hmm. I was giving CPR, pumping his chest. At which point, the judge says, Pardon me, sir. You are going to need to speak up a little bit. I know you are answering his... And then Darren says, Okay, I'm sorry. The judge then says, Questions, but I need to get your answers. Again, Darren apologizes, and then the court says thank you. And then again, the questioning uh, continues by the prosecutor, Mr. Greg Davis. Well, let's take your testimony today. After you saw your wife get on this telephone, was she on the telephone still while she was over here at the kitchen sink? I think about at the same time. I mean, like I said, I was concerned about Devin. I didn't even know he was that she was hurt. I didn't even know that Damon was laying down. Well, did I understand you to say that when you came back, came into this Roman room, you went to Devon, correct? I went to Devon straight. The very first thing your wife did is she went to this telephone and started to make a telephone call that you presumed to be 911, correct? I just presumed that, yes. All right. And then the next thing that you recall her doing after she picks up the telephone and starts making this telephone call is she goes to where? To a drawer or to a kitchen sink? Or where does she go to first? I don't really recall. I don't know. I wasn't on the other side of the bar to see. I could see her head. Well, where was her head? Her head was right around in this area, walking from here to here, and on the way is the drawer to the sink. All right, so she still had the telephone in her hand, probably on her shoulder. Okay, so she has got the telephone on her shoulder during the time period that she is walking, what you say, between the kitchen sink and the end of the bar, correct? Right. Can you hear her talking? I can hear her screaming. Okay. So she is screaming. That is the first I hear about a protruder. All right. About an intruder. An intruder. I'm sorry. Not a protruder. An intruder. All right. And when you are over there with Devin, you say that you stayed there, what, three to four minutes? About three to four minutes. Just guessing. Everything was in slow motion. All right. And during this entire time period, is this the time period where your wife is still walking between that kitchen, the end of the kitchen bar and the kitchen sink at the very beginning? Well, at what point did she start to do something different? Well, I don't really know. I mean, everything I was seeing when I was coming up after I was giving, you know, trying to give CPR to Devin. Well, you just told me that in the beginning, that she was walking between the end of the kitchen bar and the kitchen sink. And I'm trying to understand at what point did that activity end? Probably about the time that she came over to Damon and gave him, you know, put a towel on him. She was pretty much at his feet of me looking up and seeing him, you know, seeing her, seeing Damon laying on the floor and me trying to work on Devin. You can't really put it all in perspective. It's just a lot of different things happening at the same time. 
Well, is it your testimony that she went over to Damon and actually put a towel on his back? She laid a towel on his back. Did she leave that towel on his back? I would assume so. Yes, sir. What did you do after you finished with Devin? Well, I couldn't do anything. I went over to Damon. I didn't know his wounds weren't exposed. I didn't see any blood on him. I reached down and I touched his neck and I felt his pulse and I didn't feel anything. You didn't feel a pulse? I didn't feel a pulse. Were the police officers present there in the room at the time that you did that? It was right about the time it was right about the time that they were starting to get there that Darley went to the front door. Well, had the officers entered your house at that time that you went over and felt for a pulse on Damon? No. Okay, so they were not in the house yet, correct? Not in the house yet. So all of this stuff that you have told me about occurred before the police officers ever got there. Is that right? That's right. Where is your wife during the time that you are putting that you are feeling for a pulse on Damon. She is right in that hallway, right at the end of the bar. Was your front door locked? It was when I went to bed. Well, was it locked at the time that the police officers came to the front door? I don't know. I didn't go to the front door. I didn't answer the door. Darley did. Well, is it your testimony that Darley actually went to the front door and greeted the officers or met the officers at the front door? I believe so. Well, you heard a police officer testify that as he came up and as he got out of his squad car, that he saw you running towards the other side of the street. Is that correct or incorrect? That is what he had said. Well, did you do that? Well, I don't remember unlocking the door. I don't remember when he... It seemed like he was there when I was still in the house with the boys. Okay. Well, I'm just trying to understand. Were you outside the house when Officer Waddell arrived or were you inside the house? Well, I didn't even recognize the officer that was here today. Well, let's forget about his name or his description. When the first police officer came to your house, were you inside the house or were you outside the house? I was inside the house. So you were not running across the front yard when the first officer got there. Is that right? I don't believe so. How much of this evening do you really remember in great detail? I was in shock. Okay. In great detail, you remember bits and pieces of it. You try to remember the best you can, and you try to keep the facts straight in your mind, but you are talking about a very traumatized state. Shock. Okay. I remember screaming and running across the street. Why did you run across the street? Because there is a friend of ours that is an RN that works in the emergency room at doctor's hospital, and I needed help. Did you ever tell the police that Darley attempted CPR or tried to care for Damon before they got there? I did not. You didn't tell them that, did you? I didn't tell them that she did CPR. She doesn't even know how to do CPR. 
Well, did you ever tell the police that she went over there and put a towel on Damon's back before they got there? Well, the choice of words of rendering aid and putting a towel and applying pressure are two different things. Sir, do you recall being present at the Rowlett Police Department on June the 8th of 1996? Yes, I do. Do you recall giving the Rowlett Police Department what appears to be a six-page written statement? I did write a statement. Okay. And were you still in shock when you gave this statement on June 8th? 1996? I think I am still in shock. Well, could you comprehend what you were saying to the police? And could you comprehend what they were asking you on June the 8th of 1996? They pretty much told me to sit down and to generally give them a description of what happened that night. All right. And at that time, were you, did you try to make your very best effort to give the most complete, accurate statement that you could to the police? I told them that they really needed to videotape me or micro record me because there was too many details of too many things that happened in a small amount of time that you could possibly write down. Well, let me ask the question again. Did you try to make the very best effort that you could to give them the most complete statement that you could on June the 8th of 1996? I'm sure it could have been massaged a little bit more. Well, I didn't ask about massages. Let me ask you one more time. Sir, did you make an attempt on June the 8th of 1996 to give the best, most complete statement that you could to these police officers concerning the brutal killing of your two children? I made a general statement. Is that a yes? That you did try to do that? I tried. Have you seen your statement lately? No, sir. Mr. Greg Davis then asks if he could approach. The court says, yes, sir. And then he continues questioning. Mr. Routier, if you will please look at those six pages and let me know when you have finished. Okay. Do you recognize that as a true and correct copy of the statements you gave the police on June the 8th of 1996? Yes. Sir, anywhere. Was there anything in that statement at all? about your wife going to the kitchen sink? No. Is there anything in that statement about your wife placing a towel on the back of Damon? No. Let me go back to when you were over at Devon. Your best estimate is that you stayed with him approximately three to four minutes. Is that right? That's right. And during that time period, tell me, what are you doing? Are you focused on Devon? I am very focused on Devin, but I am trying to listen to what Darley is saying. I'm trying to, I'm looking over at Damon and I see him on the floor. I don't remember any movement of Damon either. I kept thinking, you know, I am just, I am really focused on Devin more than anything. Okay, so you don't move, correct? You stay with Devin? Yes, I stayed right down there on Devin. I got on the opposite side so I could pretty much see the room from me coming up in between air, breathing air, and all right. And during that time period, then you're listening more than you are talking. Is that right? That's true. Are you saying anything at all? I'm sure I'm talking to Devin, slapping him on the face, trying to get him to come too. All right, so whatever you say then is directed toward Devin, who you are tending to, correct? Mm-hmm. 
and it shows that Darren has nods, nodding his head affirmatively. That, and then me waiting for Darlie to get off the phone so I can find out what happened. All right, let me ask you, when is it that she got off the telephone? I believe sometime around when the police showed up. Well, then I take it that during the entire time that you were with Devin, she is still on the telephone. That's probably about right. Okay, because had the police arrived during the time that you were with Devin? Mm-hmm. And again, he nods his head. Well, I was with Devin? Yes. Well, actually, when I came up from Devin and had went over to Damon is when I remembered the first police officer right in front of me. All right. About how long had you been with Damon when the first police officer arrived? Uh, probably just a minute to check his pulse. All right. And during the entire time that you are with Devin then, is your wife Darlie still on the telephone then? I believe so, yes. Okay. Is she with... Is she still on the telephone at the time the police officers get to your home? I believe so. How did you first become aware that a police officer was at your home? How was I first aware? Yes, he walked into the room. And, well, did you hear any knocking on the door? I don't remember. I don't remember almost any... Well, I hardly remember any noises. Okay. Do you remember Darley going to the front door and coming back with a police officer? No. All right. Is it your recollection then that Darley stayed there close to that kitchen bar and was there at the time that the police officer came into your house? It's possible, except for that somebody would have had to have went and opened the door to let them in. Okay, did you go to the door and open and let them in? I didn't. Okay. Was there any other adult in the house that could have done that besides you and your wife? No. So do you know whether your wife left that kitchen area and went to the front door and let them in or not? I believe she did. Okay. Why do you think that? Just because of the fact that I knew that when I, before I went to bed, I knew that the door was locked and the fact that, you know, somebody had to have let the police officers in that she had to have done it. Okay, did you ever see your wife go to the front door and yell out the front door? I didn't see her, no. Okay, did you ever hear her yell out the front door? No. Did you ever go to the front door and yell out? Just when I was running across the street and running back. Okay, but you never actually just stood at the front door and yelled. No. Are you sure that your wife did not yell out the front door? Am I sure that she didn't? Yes, I believe she did. That she did what? But I didn't hear her. I'm sorry. And then Darren says, you are asking me. And then he says, I am asking you whether your wife ever stood at the front door and opened the front door and yelled out that front door. I wouldn't know. I wasn't there. Well, I didn't hear her yell out the front door. Okay. It's very possible that she could have. Well, did you ever see her walk toward the front door? Yes. And after you saw her do this, was that when the police officer came back with her? 
That's what I remember. And do you ever recall her going to that front door on any other occasion besides the one that you have just told me about, where she went to the front door and the police officer came in to help you? No, not besides the time that she was in the hallway when I first saw her when I came down. Okay, did you ever get any towels or washcloths out of the drawers yourself? I did not. Was Damon still gasping for breath at the time that the police officer came into the house? I never saw him move. Well, I'm not talking about movement. Did you ever see your son Damon gasping for breath? No, I didn't. Were his eyes open at the time that you went over to tend to him? They were open. Was he dressed in a black t-shirt, a black Treasure Island t-shirt that you all might have gotten for him? I believe so. You couldn't see any injuries to him, could you? No. Was that room pretty dark? Well, once the light is put on, it is, but I mean, he... I didn't he see any blood or anything wrong with him. I mean, I didn't visually see it because it wasn't like Devin's wounds, but I never lifted his shirt up or anything. I was afraid to touch him. And so from, I was afraid about touching him and him being in a different position than what he was in. If I would have lifted him up or picked him up, then he would, you know, I might hurt him worse than what he was. Did you ever see your wife move him? Move him? No. Okay. Did she move him to your knowledge? Not that I know of. When you came downstairs, Mr. Routier, did you ever see a stranger in your house? I did not. Did you ever hear a stranger in your house? No. Did you ever hear a vehicle leaving your residence? No, sir. Did you ever see a vehicle leaving your residence? No, sir. So that I understand, were you and your wife the only two adults in the house at the time that you went to sleep? Yes, sir. And you and your wife were still the only two adults in the house when you woke up. Is that right? That's right. Your baby was, at the time, only about eight months old, wasn't he? Yes, sir. Does your wife have breast implants? Yes, sir. And when did she have that operation done? Four years ago. Okay. Three or four years ago. Who was the doctor that performed that operation? I don't really remember his name. Where is he? He is in Dallas. A plastic surgeon? Yes, sir. How much did that operation, operation cost? About $5,000. Do you remember... Was this a procedure that was done in a hospital? It was outpatient. At the doctor's office or at a hospital? It was at a hospital. Which hospital was that done at? Community over in Garland. Why did your wife have the breast implants done? At this point, the defense, Mr. Douglas Parks, speaks up and says, it calls for conclusion. And the court says, sustained. Mr. Greg Davis then continues along this line of questioning and asks Darren, uh, did you have a conversation with your wife about having breast implants? Did I have a conversation? 
And again, Mr. Douglas Parks speaks up and says, object to relevance, your honor. At which point, Mr. Greg Davis says, it goes to the relevance of the location of the wounds and why we have no wounds around the breast area or the torso to this defendant, as opposed to the wounds to these children. I think it goes to the relevance as to why she would not want to injure your, herself in the breast area. I think if we have a chance to ask a question about who wanted this breast implant done, I think it is going to become very relevant. The court then says, overruled. So, Mr. Greg Davis, the prosecutor continues, who wanted the breast implants done? And Darren says, we both did. Your wife also, correct? Yes. It was something she wanted? Sure. Okay. It was probably me more than her. Are you sure about that? And then Darren kind of laughs and says, yeah. You and your wife had an argument the night before you went to bed. Is that right? No, sir. Did you have any conversations before you went to bed with your wife? Yes, sir. In fact, you had an argument or you had a discussion about a lot of troubles in your home, didn't you? No, not in our home. About troubles that your wife was experiencing? What kind of troubles? Well, just tell me, what was the conversation about? What did you discuss? The conversation before we went to bed? Yes, sir. From 11 o'clock until 1 o'clock? Do you recall having a discussion where your wife mentioned that Jaguar that you couldn't afford to get fixed for her? Do you remember that? I'm talking about that discussion. No, that's my Jaguar. Oh. It was not a matter of whether or not we could get it fixed or not. Do you drive it? I drive it. She never drives it. Does your wife just walk around town or does she have a vehicle that she gets to drive? She has a Nissan Pathfinder. I thought that was the vehicle that your company rented for you. Well, it is. It gets less use than what company? Does that company rent that Jaguar? No, sir. That is paid for. Buy the Jaguar? Didn't buy it. No. It was just a personal vehicle, but you use that for work, right? Yes, sir. Well, what did you and your wife discuss the night that night before you went to bed? And I am not asking about everything that you discussed, but did you have any discussion of any sort that dealt with problems that either one of you were having? Just general information about what was going on at work, who needed to pay us. We talked about the boys a lot talked about her trip to Jamaica, or I mean to Cancun, our future trips that we were having for my class reunion. My sister was getting married. We were talking about that trip. We were talking about our trip to Pennsylvania. We had a lot of future plans. Did your wife strike you as being suicidal that night? No, sir. Had you noted her to be depressed in any way recently? Not recently. A matter of fact, you have never known her to suffer from any sort of mental disorder, have you? Well, I wouldn't know. I'm not a doctor. Well, haven't you answered previously at other hearings that you have never seen or known her 
to suffer from mental disorders. Hasn't that been your testimony before? She has never had any mental disorders. Matter of fact, that evening, didn't y'all discuss the problems that you were having with the Jaguar? Actually, it was not even really that much of a conversation. It was just that she would have liked for me to have gotten it fixed so that she could have her Pathfinder back. Didn't y'all discuss the problems that you were having with your boat also? No, I didn't discuss very much about that. Well, did you discuss the boat that night or not? No. Did you discuss the problems that you were having with your business? Not problems, just getting paid. Isn't that a problem, getting paid for work that you have already done? Well, it can be when they don't pay you, right? Right, it hurts. Anything else that you remember talking about that night? Oh, not really very much, just, you know, had anybody else, any other adult, been over to your house that evening before you went to sleep? Darley's sister, Dana. Okay, what time did she leave? About nine o'clock, I took her home. Why did you say it was nine o'clock? It was about nine o'clock. That is usually about what time we take her home. Why did you take her home? Because she doesn't have a car. Well, was there any, there's no one else to take her home? Darley could have if she wanted to pack up all the kids and we could have all went. It's only a 20 minute drive or a 30 minute drive over there. What time did you get back from taking Dana home? About 940, somewhere in there. How sure are you that it was 940? I know it was before the news. Okay, how do you remember that? How do I remember that it was before the news? Yes, sir. Because I remember watching the news that night. Had you and Darley had discussions about you and Dana in the past? No. You had not had discussions about Darley being angry with your activities with Dana. With Dana? Yes, sir. Her sister? Dana, your sister-in-law? No. Never have? No. Did you ever become aware that Dana and Darley may have spoken about what you and Dana had been doing in the past? No. That just never came to your attention. No, I've known Dana since she was three years old. You have flirted with Dana in the past, haven't you? Flirted? No. Okay. Well, had you done something with Dana that maybe others might call flirting? I wouldn't think so. That's my sister-in-law. All right. At which point, Mr. Greg Davis, who's obviously been questioning him this whole time, the prosecutor, um, says, may I approach your honor? And then the court says, sure. And then, of course, there's information handled. And then he goes back to questioning Darren and says, Mr. Routier, if you would please look at state's exhibits A, B, and C, and tell me if B is, in fact, your son, Damon Routier, and C is your son, Devin Routier. Yes, it is. At the time of this offense, on June the 6th, 1996, how old was Damon? Damon was five. 
this towel that was on the back of Damon, was it still on his back when the police officers came in? I believe it was. You didn't remove it, did you? No. What kind of towel was it? Kitchen towel. What color was it? Probably either white or and black checkered or green and white checkered. There was one of each. Well, let me just ask you, which one of those was on his back? Probably the green and white checkered one. Well, why do you say that color? Is that what you remember seeing? Yeah. So it was green and white. I believe it was green and white. Yeah. What color did Darley have? On her neck? Mm-hmm. I never knew that Darley was even cut up to this point until the paramedics had brought her to the front door. Well, did you see Darley with any towel around her neck at any time? No. Do you recall ever sitting down with Darley in the Roman room while the police or the paramedics were there? No, that never happened. Well, all right, let's take it then the first police officer comes in the door, okay? Whatever his name was. Where were you? I'm coming from, I'm right by Damon, probably standing right beside Damon when he comes into the walkway. It seemed like he was standing there for a little bit while I was working on Devon. Well, so it's possible that the first police officer, I looked up, I get up and I walk across the room and it seems like there he is. All right, so you had actually not started tending to Damon when he came in the room. Not tending. All right, had you knelt down or are you still standing up? I was kneeling down when I remembered seeing him. Then I went down to Damon. All right, had you touched Damon? At that point, no. Yes, sir. Darren says, I was focused on Devin the whole time. Where is your wife and what is she doing when this first police officer comes in the Roman room? She is somewhere back behind the bar in the kitchen area. Okay, so is she actually in the kitchen? Yeah, it would be considered the kitchen. Well, when you say that she is behind the bar, well, but it would be on the kitchen side. Okay, so she is actually all the way around on the far side of that kitchen bar, right? Over by the sink. She is by the sink? Yes, the island is in the middle. There is an island in the middle and she was by the sink, between the sink and that bar area, all down there along that area. Okay, what is she doing? Running around like crazy. Was she on the telephone? At that point, no. Had she already? Well, all right. How long before the officer came in there had she stopped talking on the telephone? By the time the officer got there, how much time? How much was she on the phone? No. You say that she stopped talking on the phone by the time that officer came in the room, right? I didn't say that. Well, was she on the telephone or was she not on the telephone when the first officer came in? I don't really remember. Do you remember your wife actually getting off the telephone? I don't remember where she put the phone, where she said it, nothing. 
Well, what was she doing when the first officer came into the room? Screaming. And she is in the kitchen by the kitchen sink. Is that right? Around the sink and the bar area. Yeah. What is the first thing that you remember the police officer doing when he came in there? The first expression I saw when I saw him the first time is his eyes were this big. And Darren then indicates with his hands. Then what happened? He just pretty much stood there like he was in as much shock as we were. Then what happened? He never said anything to me. And I'm screaming and telling him that they need to go, you know, that they need to go and get this guy. They need to, you know, call everybody. They need to call Rockwall and Garland and everybody that they can possibly get there that we needed help. Well, did you, where was your wife during this time that the officer was standing there with his eyes bugged out, immovable? Back behind him. Behind where? He is standing right at the end of the bar and Darley is in the kitchen, the bar area, back behind him, moving back and forth. Okay, well, I mean, she is, I'm telling you, did the officer ever say anything or did he just stand there? He just stood there and actually it seemed like he stood there for a long time. How long did he just stand there without saying a word? I don't know. When you're in shock, the time seems to be going by really, really slow. He may have stood there for a minute or two without moving at all. Did he ever say a word? Not to me. I never heard a word. How about to Darley? Did he ever say a word? I never heard a word. Did she ever talk to him? Not that I saw. Well, were you in a position where you would have been able to see her talk to that officer? Well, he was pretty much facing the Roman room and she was back behind him. So he was not talking directly to her. Well, did you see her talking to him? No. Did you hear her talking to him? No. And are you talking to anybody? No. So as I understand it, we have a situation where your wife is standing there mute. You are standing there mute and a police officer is standing there mute. Is that correct? Well, me and Darley, Darley are screaming, but not communicating. We're just dramatically screaming. She is not talking about somebody being in the garage. I heard that on the phone. I heard that when she was on the night on the 911, whenever I was taking care of Devin, that is the first I heard about it. I'm talking about when the officer is there things that she may have screamed or yelled at the police officer. Did you hear her yell anything to the effect that the man might be in the garage? Well, it seems like we both did as soon as they walked in. How about the knife being picked up? Did you hear your wife say something to the police officer about obscuring fingerprints on the knife blade? No, I didn't hear that. Did you say anything to him about that? To the police officer? Did you say that to the police officer about fingerprints being obscured on the knife blade? No. Well, this police officer, did he ever say anything before a second officer got there? Can you be more clear? Well, I'm just saying, did he utter a word before 
No, he never rendered aid to my sons. He never tried to calm Darley down. He didn't keep me from running across the street. Nobody tried to calm us down. They didn't try to do anything. He pretty much just stood there, eyes bugged out, and was just as shocked as we were. And no matter what we said to him, he would not move. So the answer to my question is no, he never did say anything to you. No, he didn't say anything to me. Okay, and then a second police officer gets there. Do you remember any other officer being there? Well, then it seemed like they ran through to the garage. Who is they? The two officers. When did that other officer get there? He just showed up. The front door was wide open. They come in and everybody starts running in. And before you know it, you've got everybody is just running around. Had you already run across the street before this second officer got there? I probably did. So you have run across the street and then was the second officer already in your house when you got back? I never saw the second. I saw the second officer in the house, but I can't recall at what time in between whether or not it was a couple minutes before the second officer got there and me running across the street and then running back or if it was after that. Tell me everything that you remember your wife saying to the 911 operator. Only that there was an intruder that was in the house and he had gone through the garage and he had killed our babies. That's all I knew. That's all you remember? That's all I remember listening to. Did you ever walk into the kitchen while those two officers were there? Actually, I did. I did see the screen and I did see the knife at the end of the bar. What did you think when you saw that screen? That I had failed my boys to not secure the house as well as I should have. Well, even though I had locked the doors and checked the garage door and made sure everything was down. Well, so I felt like that that was the entrance of the, you know, the entrance and the exit was, you know, that is what we pretty much thought at the beginning was that that was the entrance and the exit of the person. Why did you think that? Just because of the fact that the garage door was down. Okay, and it latches, correct? It latches and locks from both sides. And it was latched that evening, right? It was latched before I went to bed. It's the normal father thing to do. And the other doors in the house, they were locked when you went to sleep also? Yes, sir. Were there other windows in the house also locked? I take it. The windows, I never worried. You know, I never worried about it too much. I mean, normally when you lock a window, you think it's going to stay locked. Well, you said that you thought that that was both the exit and the entrance, correct? Yes. Why did you think that again? Just because the screen was slashed from one side to the other. Was the window also raised up somewhat? Yes, it was. It had been raised up about that much. And normally it was raised the full, you know, 36 inches or however big that window is. When is the last time that you checked your garage before this thing happened? Before I went to bed. Okay. 1230 or one o'clock. Everything was fine in the garage at that time, wasn't it? Right. 
the screen was not slashed. Well, I didn't really go in. What I do when I check the back door is I just, you know, open the door up and I just look to see that the garage door is latched across. I never walked out there to see, you know, to secure any windows or anything like that. I just didn't even think about it. Well, had you ever seen that particular window screen slashed before that evening? No. And were you in your backyard sometime the evening of June 5th? I mean, you have got a patio. You are out there frequently, aren't you? Right? And you didn't see the screen slashed, did you? No, I had not seen it slashed. So that was really was the key as to why you thought this was the exit and the entrance, correct? Right. And I had to see it. Your wife was barefoot, wasn't she? We both were. What size shoe do you wear? It varies. 11 and a half or 12. Your wife, just generally? Probably a seven. All right. At this point, Mr. Greg Davis, the prosecutor, says, I'll pass the witness, Your Honor, at which point Mr. Douglas Parks, the defense attorney, says, may I approach, Your Honor? And he says, you may. At which point, Mr. Douglas Parks then begins the cross-examination of Darren. Mr. Parks then asks uh, Darren, it says, uh, Mr. Routier, is this the statement that you have previously identified as being your statement to the Rowlett Police Department on June 8th of 1996? And he says, yes, sir. At which point, Mr. Park says, Your Honor, we would offer Defendant's Exhibit Number 3 for purposes of the record with the understanding that a copy will be substituted. And Mr. Davis had no objection. The court receives this information. And then Mr. Parks says, no further questions. Mr. Greg Davis says, no further questions. And at this point says, all right, you may step down. So that's it. That's it for the bond hearing, uh, at least as far as Darren's testimony goes. However, what happened was that they took a 10 minute recess um, they come back, the court says, let's go back on the record, at which time Mr. Greg Davis, the prosecutor, stands up and says, Judge, I want to recall Darren Routier for just a question, please. And the court says that this is fine. Um, and then further, he instructs Darren, uh, the judge instructs Darren to keep his voice up because he was having trouble making out everything that he was saying. So then Mr. Davis again begins questioning uh, Darren and says, your name is Darren Routier, correct? Yes, sir. The same Darren Routier that just previously testified in this case. Yes, sir. Mr. Routier, you previously testified about the point of entry and exit. And you said that at the time you thought that was the point of entry and exit, correct? I thought so, just from looking at it. All right. Have your thoughts changed? Yes, sir. Okay. What do you now believe to be the point of exit or entry? Well, first of all, what do you believe to be the point of entry now, based on the information? At which point, uh, Mr. Douglas Parks stands up, says, Objection, that is speculation. 
your honor. And the court then says, well, please explain why it is not speculation. Mr. Davis then says, well, he has expressed an opinion concerning his observations. And I'm, let me just ask you this. Have you observed something since that event that has changed your feelings about the point of entry, sir? And then Darren says, no, not on entry. Mr. Davis then says, all right, so you still at this point, your testimony would be that you still believe the window that you saw that evening was the point of entry. Is that correct? It just seemed to be that way. Well, is it your opinion? Well, I'm not an expert. I couldn't say. I'm not asking that. Has your opinion changed as to the point of entry? No, sir. Has your opinion changed about the point of exit? Yes, sir. And have you observed something that has changed your opinion on that? Not really from a forensic standpoint. Well, I'm just saying, have you seen something that has changed your opinion? No, sir. Have you heard something that has changed your opinion? No, sir. I just speculated it. I just assumed. So right now you are just guessing that there is a different point of exit. I'm just guessing. Is there any reason in particular why you are guessing a little differently today on that? Just because of the fact that there is no blood or hair on the screen. Okay. At which point Mr. Greg Davis says no further questions. Mr. Douglas Parks says no questions. And the court then again tells Darren that he can, he can go ahead and step down but that they do want to keep him kind of in reserve for later questions if necessary. So let's do a really quick recap on what Darren had to say during his testimony at this bond hearing. First, he says he went to bed around 1 a.m. And at the time he went to bed, Darley and the two boys were downstairs in the family room. Nothing seemed out of place at the time he went to bed. He says that the first thing that woke him up was the sound of glass breaking and Darley screaming and that he had been asleep for about an hour or an hour and 15 minutes. He woke up, he grabbed his glasses. He admitted he had been sleeping in the nude. So he put his pants on, went right downstairs to the family room. He then saw Devin on the floor. Devin is the older child on the floor, face up, lifeless, with two chest wounds and his eyes were open. Darley was behind Darren after Darren had come downstairs, according to Darren. And then Darley goes over to the phone to call 911. Darren said that Darley was in between the family room and the kitchen. He said that uh, Darley, she went and got some towels, got the phone, called 911. And now this is really important in the 911 call. You hear Darley at the 15 second mark saying, hurry, and then it's intelligible. And it is believed that she is speaking to Darren. Now, since she was already on the phone with 911, and we believe that she was telling Darren to hurry, this would mean that Darren was not in the room as he had just stated in his testimony. 
Darren said that he's with Devin, uh, that Darley was going to the sink to get towels and bring them over to Damon. He then testified that Darley put a towel on Damon's back. Uh, again, Damon is the younger of the two. He is the child that was found in between the kitchen and the family room. Darren is saying that he ran over to Devin, the older child who's near the television, and saw two stab wounds in his chest. So he began to give him CPR. As he attempted CPR, air was coming out of the holes in his chest. And when questioned about whether Darley brought over a towel uh, for one of the children, he said that she did and that she placed one on Damon's back. So, however, he never mentioned to the police about Darley going back and forth and going to the sink for the towels, um, that she was holding the phone on her shoulder while getting these towels. So this is kind of a bit of a discrepancy because he never added these into his official statement or evidently any time that he spoke with the Rowlett uh, Police Department. Darren further says that the first time that he heard about an intruder was when Darley was on the phone with 911. He says when he walked over to Damon, the younger child, he felt for a pulse because he couldn't see any wounds. However, I want to take you back to what the first officer on the scene said when he first came across Damon. And I quote, he was lying on his stomach. I could see he had blood all over his back. He was trying to move and he was gasping for breath. And that is, I stepped over his feet and went over to her, meaning Darley, to try to find out where the suspect was, unquote. Now, Damon, obviously the younger child, is the one who sustained multiple stab wounds. He actually got the worst of it to his back. And... He was lying on his stomach. According to Darren, he couldn't see any wounds to Damon. So what he did is he felt for a pulse and there wasn't one. Now, can both of these statements be true? And the answer is maybe. Because by the time Officer Waddell arrived, we know that Damon was on his stomach exposing his back, which is where his injuries were. When Darren first arrived downstairs, he runs to Devin over by the television on the other side of the room and doesn't notice Damon. The last time Damon had been seen, he had been laying when he went to sleep that night. He was laying by his mom in between the coffee table and the couch on the floor. And somehow Damon got to the area between the family room and the kitchen. Now, Darley's account has Damon shoving her on the shoulder. So he was moving at that time and the blood spatters, and we'll get to these later, but they uh, show Damon, Damon's blood is really kind of all over the place um, in the living room or the family room. The point is, is that Damon was still moving around. He may have finally collapsed where he was, um, maybe first on his back, and then when Darren said he checked on him and saw no injuries, and then at some point before Officer Waddell arrives, Damon turns over, then exposing his back where his wounds are. However, 
However, we also know that during this same testimony that Darren said that as he was working on Devin, the older child, he saw Darley put a towel on Damon's back, which means that Damon's back was exposed already prior to Darren checking on him because Darren's testimony says that he first tended to Devin and then went to Damon where he quote, couldn't see any injuries, but was aware that Darley had put a towel on his back. Now the statement about Damon from Darren, where he said he checked for his pulse because quote, his wounds weren't exposed and I didn't see any blood on him could have been because the towel was on Damon's back covering the wounds. Later in the testimony though, he said he never lifted up Damon's t-shirt to look at his back. But you know, surely the towel itself would have become blood soaked with so many gaping injuries to, to Damon. He never mentions this, however. So further in his testimony, Darren says that the police were not yet in the house when he went over to check Damon's pulse. He testified that he doesn't know if the front door was locked or not because Darley answered the door. He said he locked it before he went to bed. Now, remember though, Officer Waddell said that he met Darren in the front yard and then they both turned and walked inside. So when the prosecutor tried to pin down Darren on where he was when Officer Waddell arrived at the house, inside or outside, Darren kind of tends to skirt the issue. Was your front door locked? It was when I went to bed. Well, was it locked at the time the police officers came to the front door? I don't know. I didn't go to the front door. I didn't answer the door. Darley did. Well, is it your testimony that Darley actually went to the front door and greeted the officers or met the officers at the front door? I believe so. Well, you heard a police officer testify that as he came up and as he got out of his squad car, that he saw you running towards the other side of the street. Is that correct or incorrect? That is what he said. Well, did you do that? Well, I don't remember unlocking the door. I don't remember when he, it seemed like he was there when I was still in the house with the boys. Okay, well, I'm just trying to understand. Were you outside the house when Officer Waddell arrived or were you inside the house? Well, I didn't even recognize the officer that was here today. Well, let's forget about his name or his description. When the first police officer came to your house, were you inside the house or were you outside the house? I was inside the house. So you were not running across the front yard when the first officer got there. Is that right? I don't believe so. Darren then goes on to explain how the whole evening was very traumatizing, which I fully, fully believe, and that he was in shock, which I also believe and that it's hard to remember details. Also, very feasible, right? 
Greg Davis, the prosecutor, uh, spends quite a bit of time on questioning Darren about the front door, whether it was locked or unlocked, uh, whether or not if he remembers Darley actually heading to the door to let Officer Waddell inside, or if Darley had opened the front door to scream for Karen. Remember the scream from the 911 call? He doesn't recall hearing Darley scream and thinks that Darley went to the door to let Officer Waddell inside. And again, as the information goes along again, the topic of Darley's breast implants come up. Now the prosecutor, he's trying to insinuate that Darley wanted them. And it was the reason why her injuries weren't to the chest area like her children's. And when Darren was questioned about this, however, he admitted that it was him who wanted her to have them done more than her. The questioning then turns to the conversation before everyone went to sleep the evening the crime occurred. Now, Greg Davis referred to it as an argument. Uh, Darren called it a discussion. Uh, Greg Davis, this remember is the prosecutor, he tries to pin Darren down on the fact that Darley was mad because the Jaguar wasn't fixed and that it was her car. But Darren is very quick to correct him, telling him, no, it's his car and that she drives a Nissan Pathfinder. She didn't even drive the Jaguar. So when this line of questioning kind of fizzled for Greg Davis, he then continues to ask about the discussion the two of them had before they all went to bed that night, including issues they were having with people paying the bills for the business. We then learn that Darley's younger sister, Dana, was at the house that evening as well, but she was only there until around nine o'clock or so, 9 p.m. When asked why he, meaning Darren, why Darren took Dana home, Darren said it was because Dana didn't have a car and Darley could have but then she would have had to pack up all the kids and then they all could have went quote it's only a 20 or 30 minute drive now on a personal note here this comment kind of makes me hesitate a little bit why couldn't darley just have taken dana by herself why was it necessary according to darren to have darley pack up all the kids and all of them go to drop off dana couldn't darren just have stayed home with the kids while Darley made this short 20 to 30 minute trip. You know, I think there's something a little bit off here. Um, but anyway, I, I've got my own opinions. I'll, I'll think this over before <laughs> saying anything. So then Darren then returns from taking Dana home at around 940 p.m. And he was absolutely sure it was around this time because it was, quote, before the news. Now, I know that typically uh, your local news comes on around 10 o'clock at night, but we don't know yet if this was the case on this particular evening. And the reason I say that is that this particular evening, uh, it was Wednesday, June 5th, 1996. Remember, the crimes occurred at two o'clock in the morning, which would, of course, put it on at June 6th, uh, 1996. But he's never, Darren's never really questioned about this um, as to which newscast, you know, what time did it start and things like that. But, okay, I'm going to take a huge leap here 
and I'm going to give you a really big assumption. And this is just something that, that came to mind. Now, I haven't covered this yet, but Darlie's family made an appearance on the Lisa show. If you remember, it was a talk show in the 90s after Darlie had been incarcerated. Now, this leads me to believe that the family was familiar with the show, which meant that they likely watched it. The, and the show was on NBC. Now, stick with me here. If they watched NBC on a regular basis, this means that this same night of the crime or the June 5th prior to the crime, the news would not have been on at 10 o'clock as would usually be the case because at the time, the NBA finals were on. It was the Chicago Bulls versus the Seattle Supersonics and this game didn't even start until 9.30 p.m. on NBC. And this is, the source is tvtango.com. Now from this source, I don't know if this was, was Eastern time, if it was Central time, if it was Pacific time, I just don't know. Um, but either way, NBA games tend to run really quite long. So the chances of the newscast actually being on at exactly 10 o'clock were probably pretty low. And, you know, again, this, it depends on whether or not the Dallas NBC network decided to show the NBA finals. You know, I don't know, but they're usually shown nationwide. So anyway, again, this is total speculation on my part, and I'm very likely just reaching here. Uh, but this is just one of the things that I was thinking about, you know, and again, Greg Davis, he never asked what channel or which news broadcast that Darren was referring to, you know, at least in this particular hearing. So Greg Davis then asks if in the past, Darren and Darley had had discussions about Darley's sister, Dana, and specifically about Darley being angry with Darren's activities with Dana. He was then asked, Greg Davis then asked Darren if he knew that Dana and Darley may have spoken about what Darren and Dana had been doing in the past. He's asked if he's ever flirted with Dana, which of course he denies. Now, personally, I was a little disappointed that this line of questioning uh, didn't continue, but it may during the actual trial transcripts, because this was definitely one of those, you know, out of the blue and wait a minute, what, you know, kind of questions. Darren then answers, questions about the colors of the towels that were used on a the back of Damon and B the one that Darley was holding to her neck. He is then adamant that uh, neither one of them as officer Waddell had stated were sitting in the family room while the police and the paramedics were there. Now officer Waddell had said that he had both Darren and Darley sit in the family room by the sliding glass doors because he had felt that Darren was getting in the way of the paramedics. Darren then tells Greg Davis that after Officer Waddell arrived, he ended up or he walked over near the island in the kitchen and that Darley was going back and forth along the area between the, the sink and the island, this little walkway. He says he didn't hear the officer say anything and didn't believe that the officer spoke to Darley at all or that even Darley had spoken to him. Now, however, we do know 
after hearing the 911 call that the officer did in fact speak to Darley and Darley did in fact yell at him that the man went towards the garage. Darren did say that they were both screaming, but they were not communicating, quote unquote, and mentioned that Officer Waddell didn't do anything to help the children, to calm down Darley, and essentially the officer just never ever moved from his location until the second officer arrived. So Greg Davis, he then tries to pinpoint exactly when Darren ran across the street, asking him if it was before the second officer, Lieutenant Walling, arrived, or if it was after he arrived, but Darren can't recall. He does recall Darley telling 911 about an intruder that they had gone through the garage and that this intruder had killed their babies. And Darren even admitted at this time that he too, he had walked through the kitchen to look into the garage and he had noticed that the screen was cut. He further says that the garage door was closed and it was latched from the inside. Quote, it's the proper father thing to do, unquote. He further said he locked the doors. Now, when his attention is brought back to this screen in the garage, he mentions that the window in the garage was open a good amount and mentions that it's usually raised to its full 36 inches or so. And this is why he believes this is how the intruder got in and out of the house. Now, in, in, in an earlier episode, I had kind of talked about the size of these windows they're not like uh uh those typical you know typically when you when you think of a garage right you think of these windows that are up i don't know probably about shoulder height or whatever and they're very small they're not very big at all in this particular case in this house there are these huge and i mean just huge uh windows with very large screens that you could a whole person could literally just walk in and out of i mean it's um I thought it was a little unique, you know, maybe for the area it's not, but I did. I thought it was pretty unique. But anyway, these are very, very large garage windows. Uh, Darren further stated that he did check the garage before he went to bed about 1230 or one o'clock. And that what he did, he just opened the inside door or the house, uh, the door that leads to the garage that's inside the house just to look into the garage to see if the garage door was latched. He said he did not go inside the garage or check the windows. He didn't even think about it. So after a short recess and after we think that Darren is all done, they all come back into the courtroom where Greg Davis then recalls Darren to the stand for one question. And that is about Darren's opinion as to the exit of the intruder that he, Darren, now believes that the intruder didn't exit that way because there are no handprints or hairs on the screen. Although, and again, just my opinion here, wouldn't this also be true if someone were entering? So my point is, if the window was the entry and exit, or just the entry or just the exit, either way, handprints and hairs could still be deposited, right? So anyway, all right, well, that's about all of the recap of Darren's testimony for this bond hearing, and that is going to do it for this episode. I'm actually going to be moving right along into the testimony of the of James Patterson, who was the lead detective on the case. 
And again, this is just the hearings to hold Darley without bond. These are not the trial hearings. I didn't really at first expect to go verbatim on testimony here, but think that some inf information just really comes across better when you can hear the back and forth between the questions and answers instead of just a brief summary, especially when it comes to the actions that occurred that evening. Now, in the case where testimony can be summarized, such as the doctors in episode 34, I'll just simply uh, do that. Uh, so that the time isn't taken over by a lot of unnecessary technical information. But of course, if anything, you know, important uh, comes up that would need to specifically be spoken verbatim, I will definitely do that. Uh, it is my hope to wrap up this series within the next few episodes. And um, I have decided that, yes, I'm going to go ahead and have the actual trial uh, within the podcast and and just read through the actual trial. But it's also my goal to have additional stories as well so that you can listen to other things that aren't specifically centered on this Darley Routier trial. Because as you can tell, it's a very complicated, very interesting case. I've actually become more and more interested in what I've learned as time goes on because now it's been 27 years and so many things have happened since the crime first occurred. Now, whether or not I'll be able to cover everything, I doubt it. There's just way too much information out there. But I am going to try to give you the most comprehensive information I can without following too many rabbit holes. So with that said, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. I will be back very soon. And please don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast service so that you're always on top of the newest episodes. And as a reminder, if you enjoy this podcast and you want to become a supporter along with extra perks, please consider becoming a Patreon. Again, you can go to patreon.com slash beachhouse34, or you can get the link by visiting beachhouse34 podcast on Instagram. It is in the link is right there in the bio. So anyway, thank you again, and we will talk soon.